I know what to do, but the hardest part is actually the training part of how do you convey my story, my memories, and how do you instill that into someone else? That's the hard part. That's that, that to me is where the real challenge becomes. And that's where technique comes into play too, is how do you break down this emotional family recipe into 50 grams of garlic, 100 grams of so-and-so, you know, how do you do that? It's a challenge for sure. Every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 13 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. This is the first episode of 2023. So Happy New Year to everyone. I cannot believe that I am starting the year six of the podcast. Thank you so much for continuing listening or welcome if you are new to the show. This episode is a panel discussion, part of a series connected to my new book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. I have invited Chef Masako Morishita from Washington, D.C., Chef Carlo Lamagna from Portland, Oregon, and Chef Fermin Nunez from Austin, Texas, to continue the conversation started in Chapter 5 called Beyond French Techniques. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the U.S. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country. In this episode, I ask the chefs if they consider themselves as artists or craftsmen, what is more important, techniques or creativity, and if French techniques are still relevant in a mosaic of culture and borderless cuisine that America is today. You can get the book Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door wherever you buy books online or in a bookstore and on my website flavorsunknown.com. If you purchase it from my website, I donate $1 per book to the World Central Kitchen Association from Chef Jose Andres. When you look at what you do, do you consider yourself as artists of craftsmen or craftswomen for you, Masako? Mm, never consider myself as an artist. <laughs> Maybe creator. What do you mean by that? You know, just create something fun, something adventurous, unique. I don't know. It's just maybe it's just a term of the word, but it's, it's to me, I feel like personally, art doesn't sound suitable. Okay. I agree. I don't, I don't see myself as an artist. And I think if I did, I, I would not be in like this conversation. I think similar to you, I, I, I see myself as a creative and a creator of things that I am very happy to do so. Maybe my definition of an artist is different than what you're thinking, because to me, an artist is somebody that creates something that it's the same for everybody and everybody can have a different output, but the, the result is the same, right? And to me, and, and to also like art, usually generally I see it as a thing that it lasts forever, whereas what we do, it changes every day and everybody can have a different experience when they come in through the door. 
I always give the example, like uh-huh. when somebody reviews a movie, they see everybody sees the same movie, right? So like the perspective from that, from the critic is a little bit different, but the, everybody saw the same product. When somebody reviews the restaurant, everybody had a different experience. And I think to me, that's, that's what separates us and what we do. And, and I think I represent myself as a chef, but it's not the only thing I am. I am Fermin Nunez first. I happen to be a chef and that's a part of my life. Yeah. And I'm happy to, to, to be that person. What about you, Gallo? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of built on what, what these two amazing chefs have said already. I mean, I, I, I don't consider myself an artist. I, yeah, if anything, a, a technician first, you know, you know, the cooking is a craft. It's a, it's a technique, something that I spent years on doing, but also I, I've actually started to fold in storyteller in the past, past few years because, you know, the best part is, is to be able to tell a story. It's like, it's, it's like a pop up book, right? You know, the most entertaining books sometimes are for kids and for people or something, something that, that's tangible, that surprises them. But, you know, to convey the story of, of my people, my culture, my family, cooking just so happens to be that medium that, that I tell a story in. So yeah, artists know. The artist is maybe it's not the, the right word, but when I'm thinking, for instance, other, you know, areas like, you know, a dancer or a musician or, the painter, I, I feel that there is some commonalities with what you guys, you know, do. So there is a, like a certain discipline when it comes to, you know, the art, as well as, you know, kind of a muscle memory when you are thinking. I mean, a lot of things that you do, guys, are linked to this, like, you know, muscle memories too. And the importance of, you know, like the execution of, uh, you know, from the artist. So that's what I had in mind. I think, you know, fact, cooking, I, cooking I mean, is definitely an art, yeah. but I don't think I would say an artist, more of an architect is like, I'm not on the line anymore doing the physical labor of cooking. I am in the back end, like part of opening this restaurant is like, I had to be here early to make sure that the shelving went at the right time, at the right height, that the dishwasher machine was set up the right way, where the chemical was to the right of the thing that needed to be on the left, blah, blah. There is no art in that, but that is part of my role and what I do in executing that we have the things that we need to be successful to do the artful thing of cooking. But I myself, I'm not doing that. I'm more like an orchestrator or an architect that provides those things and the systems of the things that we need to be successful at ultimately running a business because that's what restaurants are. Yeah, I think the more that we grow into what we do, the further away we get from the original purpose of why we actually started, right? I don't know if you, you guys agree, but like I started cooking because I love cooking. It was fun. That's where, where the artistry came from originally, right? You know, starving artists. We cook, we get paid <laughs> crap, and, but we, we're, expre- we're allowed to express ourselves onto the plate. But the, the, the higher up that we, we move, the, the less and less we become those artists. And I agree with them in is you, you become more of a, an architect, an orchestrator to allow other people to express themselves. I guess for you, Masako, that you are, you're still like cooking, correct? On yeah. Basis. yeah. 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 I really can relate to storyteller aspect of cooking because, you know, we already, like everybody has, you know, our family background, like, you know, what we use to grab eating. I feel like the cooking, I mean, like personally I do is like that extensive of my childhood memory, my family memory, you know, my culture. So I think I really, I can really relate to that, actually. And when it comes to what you do on, on every day, is it's, what's the most important is like technique or creativity? 
or you need to have a balance between the two of them. For me, it's being present and taking care of the team that they can execute the techniques that you need and, and foster that creativity. That is what's the most important thing to me that I show face and I encourage them and I I'm pressing in the things that I need. Both of those things are equally important. But if you don't have a team that helps you execute, that you're not fostering that, like people are going to leave. People are, are going to, you know, have to get trained constantly. Yeah, that's, I mean, to me, exactly what I've been saying. It's, it's like I said, it, creativity and technique are important. But as a personal cook, I know that I, I, I can execute technique. I can be creative. That's easy. But then how do you, how do you convey that on a day-to-day basis and produce this, you know, to feed people, right? You then become, you have to become less a creative, less a technician, more a teacher to be able to train your staff to, to execute your vision and then giving them the tools to be able to become the creatives themselves and then to move on. And so, you know, so on and so forth to climb that same ladder that you're climbing. You know, if you're not bringing your team up with you, then, then there's no point. So if the execution is like the most important aspect, what system do you have in place, you know, to make it happen? It's all consistency, right? It's the things that you have in place are making sure that you're training people properly, that from top down, you know, for the people that followed after me that are then training more and more cooks, because the further away that you get from your cooks and your staff, you know, you have to make sure that consistency is key throughout all of it. Because if there's one misstep, that's on you. It's coming from the very beginning, right? If I didn't train anyone properly, then they're not going to train anyone properly. And then so on and so forth. And then next thing you know, I'm serving Italian food. I think for <laughs> me, it was like the the hardest thing to hone in on my skills was the thing that I dread the most was, was creating systems and documenting everything that I needed to have to make sure that people knew what they had to do when they were coming up to work. So I could take time away from the kitchen and not have to be there from open to close. Because if I'm there, I can trust myself to execute the things that I know how to do. But the hardest thing for me was to document that and let go and make sure that people knew what job they needed to do and how to do it based on the expectations I had. And now where the players are like, I'm lucky enough to have a restaurant that's four and a half years old. And I've removed myself from the schedule of film a couple of months ago so I could focus on on trying to bring that energy and that momentum to the new restaurant. Having the first one be successful. My biggest fear is not that this new restaurant is successful. My biggest fear is that restaurant number one suffers because I put more time into number two. And I think I'm putting those building blocks in place, but only time will tell. Yeah, I think chefs really describe like everything great. For me, if I um, say the thing like I realized about, you know, working with people, training with people is that my common sense is not theirs. So even though I expect my staff to understand like this thing, you know, they don't. So like always, like I have to tell from one, like start from one. So I can make sure they understand, you know, they, I can, I can know they, they know what they understand. That's the hardest part, right? It, I, I don't know for both of yeah. you how it is. It's like, I know what to do. You know what to do. You know what to do. Yeah. But the hardest part is actually the training part of how do you convey my story, my memories, and how do you instill that into someone else? That's the hard part. That's that, that to me is where the real challenge yeah. becomes. And that's where technique comes into play too, is how do you break down this emotional family recipe into 
50 grams of garlic, 100 grams of so-and-so, you know, how do you do that? And so it's a challenge for sure. So you're talking about, again, the techniques and what I really enjoy with having that conversation with the three of you separate, you know, when I was writing the book is, you know, focusing on some of, you know, the techniques that come to the country that, you know, where your heritage, you know, is from. So, Carlo, for you with, you know, the Philippines, and then Mexico for your famine, and then Japan for you, Masako. And so it was interesting to, um, you know, to have that discussion because a lot of the chefs and most of the chefs that I talked to on, on the podcast were saying that they have... I would say for 80 something percent of them have a French, you know, culinary background. But do you think that today with everything that you guys represent and as well, when we see like, the evolution of the immigration of like using from the immigrants here in the U.S., do you think that the, the French techniques are still, you know, like as important as they used to be? I think what the French did, and I think we had this in the discussion, what the French did was they just formalized everything, you know? I mean, even before the Philippines ever met the French, you know, it was, they were already cooking. Everybody had to, had to, had to survive, right? In some way, shape, or form. We just worked with different ingredients, you know? And, and we had different names for, for techniques that, that were already existing. We even have techniques that I think are, are non-existent in other cuisines, just like I'm sure in Mexico and I'm sure in Japan. And the cool thing is that everything is now is now connected in some way, shape, or form. You know, thank God for YouTube. You know, <laughs> the, oh, how do I build a house? Oh, I'll just YouTube it. You know, but I think French technique is there. It was a good foundation for a lot of people, but I think now it's not necessary to be the be all end all. You know, there's a reason why French chefs are now pulling from Japan, from Mexico. Look at all the fine dining chefs. Now they're pulling from everyone else. You know why? They got bored. You know, so they they're, they're, they want to see what what because they they realize that they're way better techniques or even just different ways to do things, and they're finding that they enjoy those techniques more than their actual traditional cooking training, which is interesting to me. You know, and there was something that you mentioned to me in a discussion, which is uh, you know the interesting and funny example of some of the cool rustic style and techniques that have been adopted, you know, from different countries that have been adopted by high-end restaurants and Michelin star, you know, restaurants around the world. And I thought that was an interesting, you know, an in- interesting point. Yeah, it, make, it makes so, me laugh to what, see all these fine dining people all of, us, all of a sudden. Oh my God, look at this new technique. What new technique? That shit's been, been going on for hundreds of years. Get out of here. Just because you think that you, did, you discovered it, suck it. I don't care. You know, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Annoying. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> I, can, I can easily bring the topic because, you know, I'm originally French, so I'm very comfortable of discussing that with you guys because I completely agree with you. So what about you, Fiamen? I mean, I think what's, what I found to be, you know, in line with what we're talking about is kind of like with, with, uh, with what Carlos said, you know, French food has been very well documented for years. And that has been the thing that everybody has kind of like made out to be like, that is the way to do it. And 
In my case, Mexican food is beautifully undocumented. And the only thing that's true is whatever the last person told you, even for the same style of recipe. So I think that is <laughs> like you ask somebody how to make a chorizo and the last three persons are going to tell you a very different things. So that's why I always have that rule. It's like the only thing to be true is whatever the last person told you. And then you're going to be part of that journey because when you tell somebody how you make your chorizo, it's going to be way different than the last three. So now you're part of that conversation of, holding the the torch of you know what i told you is the right thing because i was the last person to do so and and you know you find books on how to make any sauce in that's from the french cooking like they're there you can't find as many books on that on mexican food you know and like how ironic is is that like one of the best well-known books to describe the mexican cooking at its root is made from diana kennedy right who recently passed away and she was not even mexican like that to me has a sort of beauty that it's it's very unique to Mexico in the way that it, like all those recipes are there, but they're in people's back pockets. It was an interesting conversation with you where, in fact, you use the example. You know, I think we talk about the, the the French mother sauces, and you were talking about, you know, like in the in Mexico, the whole idea that there is in different different result using the same ingredients, but if you apply different techniques. And you don't need to give like a name, you know, for each of them. But, you know, depending if you are using the mortar, if you are burning, you know, you know, like some of the ingredients first, or if you are like cooking a certain way, then you are going to obtain like three different or four different sauces. I mean, there's there's a saying in Spanish that goes along something like in English, the lines of, you know, there's a mole for every party and a party for every mole. That's how extensive the cuisine it is. And. I think that's beautiful. And, and I agree. It's like, oh, and now all of a sudden everybody wants to focus on that. And like, to that extent, I was also guilty of that. When I started cooking, nobody was focusing on Mexican ingredients. So I just put it on the back burner. I was like, oh, I'm Mexican. I know how to do that food, which in reality, I had no idea how to make the food that I grew up with. But it was French food that I, I, I needed to pursue if I wanted to have a name or, or learn something of value in this industry. And I'm glad that there's more people that are having the microphone that are not doing that. But I do think having understanding of basic cooking techniques is crucial to being a great chef and a good cook overall. So we shouldn't just discard the whole French technique. I think basic cooking techniques are more important than focusing on a specific region of the world that, you know, tells you how to cook an egg so many different ways because you wear a little hat on top of your head. Yes, absolutely. And Masako, for you, obviously, you don't have that training of like French technique before, correct? So, but it doesn't matter, you know, on your restaurant in Washington, D.C., you are putting together dishes, you know, with a Japanese influence. Yeah, so I don't have any French cooking background, of course. I don't know much about French food in general, but, you know, even though, you know, it's a different country, different background, I think we share kind of like similar techniques in each cuisine. So it's not like completely separate from like, you know, oh, French do this, Japanese do that. You know, it's not completely separate, I think. But yeah, like, like you know, it was mentioned that have a proper like basic technique is very, very important to, and then, you know, we can, now we can Google almost anything so if you have like any idea, like some like a little idea of, oh, like what if if I use this technique from different country into my cooking, you can just Google it 
and like learn about it and then bring it into like your food or your, you know, your ingredients and stuff like that. So I think for me now is to have an idea of like, you know, before probably like eight years ago, I had no idea what Subi is, but I learned about it. And like now I know what Subi does that I can bring it into my to make it like something of my own. So I'm going to ask you, I'm looking at the time. So a last question. So how would you define like the new face of fusion cuisine in America? You know, one, you know, I hate that word fusion. So I, I think, I know, I think to, to rephrase it, I think, I think, how do you look at the evolution for the face of, you know, of, of food yeah. in America? Because that's what it is. You know, the fusion, it's just going to stay the same, but you're just kind of, now you're sticking shit together. But to, to, to evolve, to see as cultures move into the U.S. and as cultures now become more, more and more dominant over, or at least more present in, in communities, you're going to see a mixture of things, you know, which is the amazing part, right? That's why Mexican food is different from Mexican American food. Filipino food is different from Filipino American. It's because now you're seeing, you know, evolving recipes, utilizing ingredients that may still be hard to get here in the U.S., like fresh tamarind or fresh guava, bayabas, whatever it may be. But it's evolving, though, because now you're going to see generations that are slowly getting mixed and, and emulsified into each other. Interracial marriages, cross-cultural, you know, connections, things like that. Like to be able to connect with these two amazing chefs and to cook with them, I get ideas from seeing the food and tasting their food. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to try that now. Or like, for example, like, like Fermin, I was just there recently tasting his amazing, his amazing dishes and how he uses masa and all these different things. Like, okay, how can I adapt that to ingredients that in Filipino cooking? Right. I studied Japanese food too. I was, a, I worked at a, a, as a sushi chef for seven, eight years. So adopting how I use fish and how I treat fish turns into that same thing. It's evolving. It's evolving me. Therefore, me sharing that evolution with everyone else. So it's going to be really interesting to see what food looks like. I use the word fusion on purpose because I, I know that Trigger. I don't like that word. I know <laughs> you guys don't like it, but there's a lot of people that, you know, use it. So I just want to have your, your thoughts, you know, about it. Yeah, man. You said everything I, I would have said in a very nice, nice way. I think it's, it's exciting to see what's happening in the world with with the, with the people that have the microphone on right now and cooking the, the food that they believe in. And, you know, to, to your known on fish, you know, like I learned how to hone my skills even further when I learned how to butcher fish the Japanese way when I worked at a Japanese restaurant. Right. And I take a little bit of those things with me. I mean, where I, what did I do last Friday? I was trying to make a chimichurri for a steak that we're going to have on our upcoming menu. And I remember the chimichurri you made, Carlo, and you cooked with us a, a while ago and you grow cilantro and I've never done that, you know. And it's, it's not fusion by any means. It's, it's evolving. You know, we have the things like we make the food that we do just because, you know, I Mexican food and, and sorts is Mexican just by, because of the fact that I'm Mexican, but I use techniques from every place I've worked at and the people I've met and the travels I've done. And it's still true to the soul of being Mexican because I have that thing that I can get away with and not call it fusion. You know, one of our most well-known dishes, Toledo taco has ingredients that are not even Mexican, fermented black beans, fish sauce. And I don't talk about that in a way that's like it's a fusion taco. 
I talk about it as a chef point of view when I use a fish sauce to bring that umami as well as the fermented black beans. And it's just food. Good food is great food, right? And everybody knows that. And restaurants compete in flavor. And if we want to win, you got to bring the pain with flavor. So quick series of rapid fire questions for you guys before we, we go on. What turns you on when it comes to food? For me, basic, just like simple. Yeah. Simple food is the hardest for me to make. Okay. And it's the one I crave the most. Just get food. Like you taste yeah. love through food, you know, it, it, that's what it is. Like, man, when I, when I went to Fenomen's restaurant, oh man, I was, you know, driven wet with like happiness and passion. <laughs> That I, I, it was delicious. It was, that, that's what turns you on. It's like it's good food. Like like Fabian said, it's it's plain and simple. It's not like bad food's gonna turn you on. You don't date a mediocre po- person, do you? You know, you want good food. It's as simple as that. Nothing crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Just just a delicious food, you know. Like when I'm like I I love like doing R&D and like testing out new ingredients and flavors when I get it and like when I have a warm bite and it's really tasty that probably like that's probably one of the most exciting moments in a week yeah over the day yeah yeah I mean I I mean for me like the the, what turns me on is something that I haven't maybe sometimes tasted you know before or something that intrigued me I mean when I came to your restaurant for instance and you serve like the the grilled, you know, gory on top of, what was it? The daiku? What is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Know? Daikon. daikon the, right. Yeah, the daikon within the, in the dashi. Yeah. I mean, that was something like really different than I've ever seen before. And that awesome. turned me off. Yeah, that's my, that's my favorite dish to make too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so dream food vacation destination for you guys. If you had to go somewhere, focusing on food, where would you go? Tel Aviv. Current obsession, Portugal. It's still still Japan for me. I I, I gotta I gotta go back. <laughs> you have to go back. To your family in Kobe. Of course. Absolutely. Okay guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening today. And thank you as well to Chef Masako Morishita, Chef Carlo Lamagna and Chef Fermi Nunez for continuing the conversation I had with them separately in the chapter five of my new book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door, 50 Chefs Chart Today American Food Culture. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, a family member, or a colleague, and get the book on my website, flavorsunknown.com. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And subscribe to our newsletter at flavorsunknown.com. Next week, my guest will be Chef Brad Kilgore from Miami. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at flavorsunknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.